With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Germany escaped Munich with a 2-2 draw against Hungary after being six minutes away from elimination. They will now face the English at Wembley in the last 16. Portugal and France was penalty mania in Budapest in perhaps one of the greatest adverts for the 2014 tournament. France topped the group, Portugal, as they did in 2016, finished third. Spain finally made all their chances count, but did they all come at once in a 5-0 slapping off Slovakia? And in a topsy-turvy game at St. Petersburg between Sweden and Poland, Lewandowski almost saved Poland. However, both Poland and Slovakia join Hungary on the first plane home. I am Jake from What If Football. The group stages are over. This is the 18th episode of the Euro Daily Podcast. We are on ACAS, Spotify, Amazon and Apple. And if you are enjoying the show, enjoying the series, please drop us a, a lovely little five-star review on whichever platform you listen to these on. We will be going to three days a week on the podcast feed after the European Championships around August time. And we'll be going to seven days a week for the bonus content on Patreon, where you can also listen to this podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash what if football contemporary podcasts, nostalgia podcasts and football manager content for £3 a month. Now let's get into today's show, Group F and Group E and previewing the last 16. And last night's action ended in Budapest and Munich and what a frantic end to the group stages. It was a far cry from the timid affair in Euro 2016 when this 2014 format was birthed really. So let's start with Portugal, let's start with France in Budapest. Portugal revitalised their midfield, Jao Moutinho, Renato Sanchez coming in for Bruno and William Cavalier. So more of a 4-3-3 and my predictions that France would pull the double pivot around seen Fernando Santos must have uh, listened to yesterday's podcast, wasn't they? Meanwhile, for France, they went down the English route of changing their fullbacks at will. Luca Hernandez coming in at left fullback, Jules Kunde coming in at right fullback. Meanwhile, Corentin Tolisso came in for Adrian Rabio, but later on in the day, Rabio would have to have to deputise at left fullback after numerous injuries or one injury and a sub at half time. Tolisso adopted this Rabiot role, pulling more to the right with uh, Antoine Griezmann drifting into his free role at will for France, as we have seen 
right the way since uh, the 2018 World Cup in that 4-3-1-2 formation. Jules Koundé was providing the true width on the right in possession for France, really. He was quite, he was surprisingly attacking, really, Koundé. And um, the main threat from, for uh, Portugal, really, was the uh, was Paul Pogba, let's be honest. He had, if I'm not sure, I didn't check who was the man of match for this game, but if it wasn't Paul Pogba, then uh, it certainly wasn't the referee either. Um it, there's no justice because Paul Pogba was absolutely superb um, last night. The two warning signs for Mbappe that that avenue is going to be dangerous for any team in the rest of this tournament, no matter how good they are. Pogba's passing range was absolutely excellent. He was just superb. Um, Mbappe was breaking that line. The first one, he almost got on to it. Second one, he had a shot saved, a curling shot. He was, it was kind of telegraphed. I, I looking at the replay, obviously, it's easier to say that not being a professional footballer easier to say that when the replay has been slowed down but Mbappe telegraphed it so much where it was going to go that he might have just like flicked his right boot so he, he went in at the near post rather than the uh, far post which you know can be done obviously but uh, Mbappe went down the Thierry on reroute of uh, just curling it into the far corner but obviously Rui Patricio was equal to it Patricio had a fantastic game as well made some absolutely vital saves the opening though first off came for Portugal from a set piece Hugo Lloris with his signature uh, Mohamed Ali impersonation, absolutely clattering Danilo and he had to come off. I don't know if that was a concussion protocol or what, but he gave him a, it was almost like a fist and an elbow and they tried saying on commentary or Hugo Lloris tried saying that he got the ball as well. But if you get the ball, then the man and you do that much devastation, then it deserves to be a penalty and goalkeepers are protected far too much in terms of... uh, Fouls and free kicks, penalties, etc. And of course, Cristiano Ronaldo converted Penaldo, as some people call him on social media. But he would top the golden boot standings after this with uh, his goal later on as well. I felt that Renato Sanchez was bringing a lot more energy to the midfield than Bruno Fernandes. And I thought the 4-3-3 as opposed to the 4-2-3-1 was... I think it suited Portugal a lot better. They were, um, they were better going forward, it seems as though they were... I thought they were quite sluggish against France and... In terms of the counter-attack, Renato Sanchez could add to that, really. You know, we saw uh, Bruno Fernandes wasn't involved in that counter-attack against Germany a couple of days ago. And I felt that, yeah, Bruno Fernandes might be a better player, but in this system, I just think Renato Sanchez works. It works, it fits better than Bruno, rather than fitting all your best players in. Going to a system that's suitable, obviously Portugal had to control that midfield because that midfield is obviously Talisa tonight. Uh, last night rather, uh, Pogba and Kante. Pogba and Kante have never lost when they've played together for France. I think that's 30, 30 31 games now. Um, they had to control that midfield and Bruno wouldn't have been able to do it. I said yesterday on yesterday's show that Bruno has to have a fantastic game defensively and uh, it turns out for Portugal to get a point, he had to not play at all and I think it, the system, little little tweak from uh, Santos, I think it worked to a uh, to a great extent really with Sanchez coming in. They also had that uh, tactical doubling up on killing Mbappe, which is risky because if he can uh, resist the press and pass it off, there's a man free, obviously, because that's how football works, doesn't it? 11 versus 11. But Portugal got away with it. They did it quite well. He was trebling up on him at times. The uh, threat from Mbappe, though, I thought, came from the uh, from Pogba's through balls and the, uh, obviously, counter-attack, but... Against a slower defence, see the uh, Germany game um, that's kicked off this group. The um, Against a slower defence, Mbappe 
would have uh, got them easy this game. But uh, Ruben Diaz is quite mobile. Pepe, even though he's getting on a bit, he's still fairly mobile and he, he obviously puts himself about a bit. How he didn't get booked in this game is anyone's guess. Really, yeah. Um, Luca Hernandez on the left back role for France didn't have a great game. Probably rightly subbed off for Luca Dean at half time, but obviously, unfortunately, Dina would only miss five, only last five minutes through injury, which is it's disappointing for him really because he's a tremendous fullback. It looks as though he's missing the tournament now. If it's a quad um, tweak tear, maybe pulling, I think he's out for the rest of the tournament, unfortunately. And um, Luca Hernandez will be the left back going forward. But obviously, we saw Adrian Rabio play at left back. He did more than a decent enough job, didn't he? Uh, Portugal weren't. As the second half wore on and it was quite clear that both would uh, be able to settle for a, a draw with obviously events in Munich that happened, it was um, it was fine for them both to achieve a draw. Portugal more than happy to just squeak through with four points. France more than happy to top the group with five in the end of the day. France though, I thought they were very, very poor in that first half. They were given quite simply a ridiculous lifeline from the referee. How that is a foul on Mbappe is incredible, really. But uh, as I say, we're not that podcast. Benzema, he's missed his last three for France and finally scores his first international goal for all, over 2,000 days for France and um, scores his fourth, uh, one in four penalties for uh, France there to level the tie up. And France came out the better and assist of the tournament so far. I had Alaba down um, against North Macedonia a couple of, about a week or so back. But that ball from Paul Pogba, I initially wrote it down. I, I had the commentary on Germany versus Hungary to start the uh, second half for a little bit. And um, I saw the ball come in from the right channel. I instantly um, sort of assumed it was Jules Kunde, even though I'd, I'm not sure about Jules Kunde's long-range passing ability like that to find Kareem Benzema. I thought from that part of the pitch, it's quite deep right-back role. But Paul Pogba, that is an absolute fantastic pass. Assist of the tournament. And unless Kevin De Bruyne comes up with something, I... I struggle to think who will be able to come up with something better than that. And a quirky stat about it is Benzema scored in the first half on 46-44, scored in the second half 46-44. Um, VAR ruling it in, and uh, which, you know, positive for VAR. They've been fantastic all tournament, just goes to show. Maybe it's the standard of refereeing in England, but again, not that podcast. So that was um, France in a nutshell, really. Got got dragged lifeline from the spot from... Um, from the referee decision in the first half and then a superb bit of football for the second. The warning signs had been there for Portugal. Pogba had done it twice, almost fed Mbappe through. But at this stage, it was England versus Hungary in excitement. And um, what we'll talk about later, I don't think Hungary would have been the right game for England in the last 16 and might have been um, a bit of a shock um, at Wembley that game. But we'll discuss that more later when we discuss Germany and Hungary. So Portugal, by this point in the second half, they were flagging a little bit. They were going out of the tournament as well, thanks to the events in Munich. Um, Portugal occupied every single position in the group, which is just outrageous, really, because they obviously they when they led, they were top of the group. When uh, it was uh, 2-2, but a loss for Germany in Munich, they were second, and obviously they finished in third, and with um, Hungary winning and Portugal losing for this brief time, they then went last. So Cristiano Ronaldo stepped up Penalty. Um, by the letter of the law, it's a penalty. Common sense, probably less so, but you can see why it's given. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo steps up fifth of the tournament, third from the penalty spot. 
Um, he's the, seemingly the only man who can uh, consistently score from penalties in this tournament. 2-2, group shapes up nicely and he ties the all-time international goal record. He's just a man possessed. and he, um, It kind of feels like Harry Kane's golden boot a little bit with the uh, with the goals he scored, the tapping against Germany, which was a fantastic move, let's not forget. And um, a third against Hungary when uh, Hungary's head just went late on, which was uh, kind of sad to be fair. And then two, three penalties, so it's kind of in those realms and there not been any spectacular goals in terms of his output for those goals but they all count don't they and they're all his all goes toward a golden boot Kingsley Coman came on France were a bit um a bit more electrified in the uh towards the back end of the second half but it was mainly Portugal holding out for that 2-2 draw because they knew with events in Munich and uh, they would be going out but obviously uh, they need not a worried really with that one Pogba had a shot tipped onto the bar. Griezmann parried and Rui Patricia kept, at that time at least, kept Portugal in the tournament with two absolutely fantastic saves. And um, for that alone, probably deserves a bit of the uh, Man of the Match award, which I assume has to have gone to uh, Paul Pogba. Now, the match didn't have the quality that we all really expected in some departments, but definitely served up in stakes of uh, drama, really. And as to did Germany versus Hungary, to say the very, very least... Germany versus Munich in Germany versus Hungary in Munich. We skirted over the pre-match ramble about uh, UEFA etc. So we're not going to it today. Um, Germany Sané came in for the injured Thomas Muller. For I thought was he was out of the this game and potentially the last sixteen, but he came on, so the injury might not um, have been as bad as feared. For Hungary, Adam Salai, he um, also came back after that injury midway through the. Uh, through the second game, which is allegedly sunstroke. Um, they were unchanged and they were fantastic in that 5-3-2 formation. Kimmich was uh, utilising that width on the right-back role. I had thought for a brief period that he was playing centre-mid with uh, Matthias Ginter, pulling so far out to the right. Ginter was almost a right-back. Kimmich was almost a right-wing-back at times. They had to use that width because Hungary was so compact and so narrow that they just had to go out wide every time. And it, it was an avenue that wasn't really working for Germany, really. Galashi made a good save off Kimmich to begin with, but apart from that, they didn't really didn't really create much. Havertz was making some good runs down that right-hand side, delivered a delicious cross, which nobody could get on the end of it. But aside from that, Germany didn't really... They didn't produce enough in the first half. Definitely not the first half. We could say the entirety of the game, really, but obviously in the end did enough to uh, get through. They were very dependent on that right-hand side in the first half, I felt. And with the way that Robin Gerson's played in the last game, it's, it's such a mystery to me because he, he was so good in that game, man of the match against Portugal. And they just kept exploiting those tactical weaknesses for Portugal. Maybe it's because Hungary didn't have those um, weaknesses in defence. They were set up so rigidly, so fantastically. And of course, the danger for Germany came after just 10 minutes. Space was found out on the left. Roland Chaloy into the channels again and again and again and he did so here dropped deep picked up the ball and a deep cross into uh, Adam Saloy fantastic header beyond Manuel Neuer Hungarians in the back behind Neuer going absolutely mental and this is where I fear for Germany really Matthias Ginter Mats Hummels none of them had him picked him up the danger man for Hungary going forward in this counter-attack move and as it stood Germany were going out defensively not there at all Attacking, they lacked a little bit of something. Thomas Muller, Kai, Thomas Muller wasn't there. He was bit, I think he was solely missed, to be fair. Kai Havertz was trying his best round out uh, 
impression. It was it was it was getting into good spaces, but they never had that sort of fluidity that the worked so well against Portugal with in the second game. Hungary, meanwhile, were resolute defensively. They had a little bit of a mix-up that allowed Matthias Ginter to have a half volley, but was saved. But um, apart from that, Hungary, uh, Germany rather were feeding off scraps. Um, Hungary, meanwhile, were making the game a scrap and um, they looked more hungry for it, um, didn't they? <laughs> Adam Saloy definitely was. He played like a madman. His usual highly strung self. He was absolute beast of a performance from Adam Shalai and if Hungary would have gone through and won this game he would have been undoubtedly the man of the match arguably still was he was he was playing like as though his life depended on it really so too Attila Saloy and Vili Orban at the back heroes at the back for Hungary headed every ball away could break three as well so did uh, Attila Fliola as we'd uh, seen at will against France and he did so again um, in this game a couple of times as well but uh, not to the same extent they missed that um, Germany missed the huge ingenuity from Muller and Muller came on after the equaliser really uh, he's, it was a mistake wasn't it let's be honest it was a Galashi howler he came out for the ball was nowhere near it Hummels I think he, he might have just let it hit his head and just hope it's going somewhere near the goal. And it was dropping just below the goal. And Kai Havertz just nodded it on. There were suspicions offside, unfounded, really. Um, and that was the equaliser. Muller came on. Germany were about to click into gear, surely to win it then. And um, yeah, it, it, it capitulated instantly. Muller had, was still dry, even though the rain was absolutely bouncing down in Munich. Uh, Muller was still dry. And he was there. The pitchers showed absolute consternation really and uh, Schaefer who was breaking like Klein Heisler really they were both either side of um, the uh, defensive mid there for Hungary they were both breaking sometimes one would drop one would uh, go but uh, Schaefer got through latched onto a through ball capitalised on the uh, German switch off and uh, nipped in with a header ahead of Neuer and another goalkeeping error really for me and uh, Hungary were level for just two minutes, uh, if that really, and Hungary were back on. I was what I had the sound on for the France game, and there were murmurings. Obviously, I was watching two at the same time, so I I could uh, I knew when Hungary fans in Budapest for the Portugal France game were going to react, and they were sort of murmurings. Obviously, it's less pronounced when they concede. Obviously, they show the goal as well, and even they were so quick that even showing the goal in the Portugal France feed that they showed the Hungary goal immediately after it was that quick and uh, Germany were just thinking, what must we do now? Uh, they didn't offer too much. Um, a give and go for Tony Kroos almost did it. Um, Tony Kroos, I thought, was Germany's best player, dictated um, things for Germany. I was suggesting they should drop him. So what do I know? <laughs> oh, it was as superb as uh, can be, really, relatively for Germany in this uh struggle of a match let's say um, and then obviously six minutes from time a ball squirted out to substitute Leon Goretzka 2-2 bang flipped to love out symbol off at the Hungarians behind the goal in the process uh, perfect picture book ending in terms of uh, where they'd been and where they got to and obviously with the, the exclamation mark there from uh, Goretzka there with his celebration it was a fantastic advert for the 24 team tournament every sort of team was in every single position at one stage or another. Germany might not have been first, neither Hungary, but they all sort of interchanged at will, it seemed, and it was just fantastic. It, it left ever-changing permutations, and for it was like a 20-minute period after half-time. England, obviously, it was English interest in this because 
whoever finished second, we were going to play. So it was exciting on that standpoint as well, not from a neutral standpoint. And it's sort of like, who do you want to play? And I think my opinion changed so much in the last in that last half because Hungary is sort of the team that it'd be like the Iceland game from Euro 2016 from a, an English perspective. You struggle to break them down. I'd, I'd worry a little bit about Adam Saloy against uh, England's defence, no matter how good England's defence have been. I'd worry about him making it a bit of a fight at the back uh, for England. And obviously you've got Roland Shaloy breaking into the flanks, the wings. I think that might have been a bit of a worry for England. And I'm sitting here on, uh, what day are we on Thursday? <laughs> I struggle to keep time now. Um, I th- I'm relatively happy with the Germany outcome there because Germany at the back don't look fantastic at all. Defensively, at least in terms of the numbers, they are the second worst defensive team in the last 16, only behind Portugal. Obviously, that's thanks in part to the uh, 4-2 match at what, uh, Munich there. Um, I think they definitely Germany definitely need Muller starting. The front three and the wing-backs are easily Germany's best best bet, really. Um, in terms of midfield, I think if Rice can nullify Tony Crows or if Mount can nullify Tony Crows if Mount returns obviously they might need uh, a Jordan Henderson in there a Calvin Phillips as well um, if they can nullify Tony Crows they're there to be got I believe at least but um, more on the last 16 later let's have a look at um, France as well they've only showed really flickers in the past two games but now if you think about it the way the draws face like sort of laid down I don't think they'll face a stronger match than what they've already faced until probably the semi-finals now Germany was probably the easiest one that they've had. So which this is probably the best way to gauge what um, England might face in the last 16, how easy France found it. I didn't, I was, some people were kind of impressed by Germany against France. I particularly wasn't because France, it was their game plan, sit deep and then hit them on the counter. And they did at will. And had it not been for VAR and a slightly mistimed runs a couple of times, then uh, Germany would have lost that by a lot. Uh, so... Maybe that's masked a few of Germany's problems. Maybe those are problems that England can capitalise on later down the line. Um, so for me, France, they've got over that hump of the harder teams. Hungary as well was a hard game for, for France. And as I said, I felt sorry for Hungary um, being in that group because they should have uh, progressed in any other group. They would have progressed in any other group. They were set up fantastically great on the counter. So got some great characters. And let's not forget they were missing their star man, <laughs> Dominic Shabazzlai. So there we are. Uh, Portugal. I don't think uh, they've done well in third place. They couldn't have wished for a worse quarter of the draw because they've got to play Belgium and Italy. Well, you'd, you'd expect Italy. It's not right off Austria, but I'm going to write off Austria. They've got to face Belgium, then Italy to get to a semi-final, which is shockingly hard when you consider some of the quarters of the draw. So, for example, Netherlands, Czech Republic, Wales and Denmark is another quarter of the draw. It's very, very going to be very hard for Portugal to... Um, get through that. I feel as though Cristiano Ronaldo and Diogo Jota are nowhere near on the same wavelength. Um, I worry for their chance creation. If you think of the goals they've scored, half of them have been from penalties. Some more fortunate than others, <laughs> but uh, I worry for the chance creation. Set pieces is probably going to be the method to go down. I think that little tweak in the system from a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-3-3, and even as a Man United fan, I'd advocate if I was Portuguese, Dropping Bruno Fernandes permanently, getting Renato Sanchez in there because he will need that uh, energy, especially against Kevin De Bruyne, especially against 
Romelu Lukaku, Eden Hazard, no matter how unfit Eden Hazard might be in this tournament. And yeah, that is a definite worry. They've got a stoic manager in Fernando Santos. Could beat Belgium quite easily in the end um, if they are resolute defensively, which I think they might be and they'll have to be anyway going forward. But that is one of the ties of the rounds alongside England and Germany going forward. After this short break, we've got a 2021 trivial teaser, which I made exceedingly easy. Uh, Six correct answers for you there. And of course, we'll be reviewing Group E and previewing the last 16. Welcome back. Yes, of course, yesterday's answer was Giorgio Chiellini. And well done to Jake Collinson, FT Law Podcast, a great podcast. Spencer, Pazza, George Spencer and Louis Reeves, a newcomer. And uh, how hard must it have been Giorgio Chiellini managed and played alongside Andrea Perlo in the centre-half. Could only be one man, really. Maybe aside from Leonardo Bonucci, but uh, that's by the by. So today I am a attacking midfielder, so let's put this in FIFA speak. I am a cam central attacking midfielder. Um, I've been managed by, this is another easy one, I've been managed by Giampiero Gasparini, Andrea Shevchenko, Andrea Shevchenko rather. I've played alongside Luis Muriel, Duvan Zapata, Rafael Toloi, Robin Gersons and Leandro Trossard. Again, I am an attacking midfielder. I've played alongside Luis Muriel, Duvan Zapata, Rafael Toloi, Robin Gersons and Leandro Trossard. And I've been managed by Giampiero Gasparini and Andrei Shevchenko. You will find out the answer on tomorrow's show, of course. Rest days, we're still doing the Euro Daily Podcast. With a little twist on the theme there, of course. Tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube if you know that answer, by the way, which I'm sure plenty of you will. After the short break, we'll be going to Group E to Seville and St. Petersburg for the action on Wednesday afternoon and previewing the last 16, of course. Welcome back. So Group E, probably alongside Group D and England's group, the least entertaining of all the uh, groups, but... Let's be honest, they saved it all for the final day and Martin Dubravka had a trick in it up his sleeve, didn't he? Let's be honest. So first, let's start off with Spain and Slovakia in Seville. Spain made a couple of raft of uh, raft of um, changes, really. As Piliqueta was in at right-back, Eric Garcia was in at centre-half, Pablo Sarabia was in on the wing as well, and Sergio Busquets made his long-awaited re- return after... Uh, testing positive for COVID. Meanwhile, Slovakia went a bit more offensive with uh, Hrasin at um, right wing as opposed to Koscielnik, not two right backs this time. And did it reflect on their team's performance? No. Left side was the uh, key for Spain. Again, really, Jordi Alba had a fantastic game and he probably wasn't the man of the match, but he was my man of the match anyway. And um, it seemed as though Spain were settling into the similar groove that we'd seen at the tournament already create half chances, create a lot of half chances, never get sort of close until they looked out on a penalty decision by VAR. And I think it didn't look like a penalty at first. Obviously, you see the replays and you see that the defender's taken a huge swing at Koke's leg and then you say, yeah, fair enough. So, Spain, they'd missed the last four penalties, including the one in the last game against uh, against Poland. And the taker had shifted from Gerard Moreno, he's still playing, uh, still in the starting lineup on the wing there. Um, went to Alvaro Morata and he needed this, didn't he? He needed the confidence. It's got in the last game. It was a bit fortunate, just a bit of a toe-end tapping, really. He needed this goal, didn't he? He needed the penalty. He needed to score it to get his uh, confidence up, to get the fans back on side. 
and Spain missed a fifth penalty in the row. I started to feel sorry for Alvaro Morati. I'd been uh, slagging him off all tournament, haven't I really? Um, but here I felt sorry for him because he looked so de- dejected. And seeing, knowing how um, badly he takes criticism and knowing how bad he feels after he might have had a bad game or not scored, I did feel horrif- horrible for him. But um, he was vindicated when he got subbed, substituted later on in the game and the Spanish fans applaud him. Obviously a lot more easier to do when you had just romped home to what was at that point, I think, a 3-0 scoreline against Slovakia and home and host. Had they been nil-nil, I'd lose him, perhaps. Or going out of the tournament, let's say, the reaction might have been a slightly different one. The save, though, from Martin Dubravka was very, very good, and that is the last time I'll say that Martin Dubravka was very, very good in this game. You won't be surprised to see. He must have had a few hundred quid on the outcome of this game. Absolute disaster of the uh, of the first goal, but we'll get to that in some time. I thought Spain was very wasteful, of course, from the spot as well as from open play. Pedri and Sarabia, though, they were bright sparks who were making intelligent runs, but chances left unconverted again, and it seems as though it was going to be the same, same story again. And Slovakia, we chatted against Sweden, we chatted their horrific defensive uh, <laughs> defensive tactics, really. They played for a point against Sweden, got burned, and I thought going into it, they, they, they must be able to... Um, they would probably do the same thing here, and so it was playing for a point again. There was absolutely nothing of them going forward, did absolutely nothing. Andre Duda was so frustrated, and rightly so. Slovakia offered absolutely nothing going forward. I think they had an XG of 0.11 in the entire game, and I don't even know where that came from, really. <laughs> they must have had some wild chances that I missed from the left half space at an incline from like 40 yards. It was just abject from Slovakia and one of the worst teams I've seen at this tournament by quite some distance. They capitalised on Poland's wastefulness from distance in the first game and looked as though they were going to ride the coattails of that into the last 16 but their goal difference obviously with this game in particular did them no good at all. Of course Dubravka chucked it in his own net um, apropos of absolutely nothing. Um, I think he just mistimed his uh, flap over the bar. Could have just punched it no matter how he fell, he could have just punched it over. Obviously, his mind was going at a million beats a second there, wasn't it, obviously? And, um, yeah, just one of the funniest goals I've seen at a major tournament ever. Um, alongside the Poulsen goal against Russia the other night. I, he's just... He obviously mistimed his jump, hasn't he? And he's just gone for the little swat over the bar, slap over the bar and in the end Slovakia took an absolute slapping. Jared Marino's persistence created a second also Martin Dubravka was I think in that mindset where he's got to atone for an error so he's coming out and trying to claim it a bit like a defender would have a bit like what we saw for example Jason Denier against Denmark when he uh, misplaced a pass then went to correct it overcorrected, and Denmark led and here was the same thing Dubravka got caught in two minds ended up trying to track him out on the sort of left on the right channel almost as if he was a left left back and obviously Moreno just clipped the ball in Laporte headed in his goal first international goal of course because he's not this is one of his first ever international games after being snubbed for France for so long and then uh, gaining Spanish citizenship um, here and it was 2-0 the game was over for me then and I felt Spain were always going to convert some chances at some point or another if the, the a draw here would have got them into the last 16 depending on if Poland could beat Sweden or not, which obviously they didn't in uh, St. Petersburg. They were helped out massively, and maybe that's just the floodgates opening. They just needed a bit of luck there. 
They obviously couldn't do it from pe the penalty spot, as we've seen from uh, from the last two games. They needed a bit of luck. They had the luck from VAR in the first game, against in the second game, rather, against Poland. They had the luck of an absolute disastrous uh, five minutes for the Slovakian goalkeeper here. And then the floodgates opened, didn't they? So Rabia deserved a goal, and it was actually a good goal. And uh, <laughs> at the fourth time of asking for Spain, a fantastically worked goal came from uh, Jordi Alba's width on the left, of course. Jared Marina made another for Fran Torres, a fantastic goal, which I kind of felt sorry for Morata as well, because uh, he came off the pitch, he would have been in that Fran Torres position and he would have got his goal, wouldn't he? But yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's a big win and the fruit almost went to top of the group, which would have been uh, startling for English fans for a second there. And um, and then in another inexplicable own goal, really, Kuchka just thought he'd get in on the act and just belted it into the goal. The clearance was made no sense. Slovakian heads had gone. They now tumble out on goal difference, and rightly so. The worst ranked third place team in the tournament, and they offered absolutely nothing for me in the entire tournament, apart from Duda's display and Robert Mack's persistence. It's in that one goal against Poland, absolutely nothing at all for me. Um, very, very uninspiring, and probably the worst team that I've seen at this tournament, maybe outside of Russia, um, maybe outside Turkey as well. Turkey, Russia, and Slovakia, probably the worst teams. At this tournament, really, for me. Um, yes, yeah, so let's go to St. Petersburg. Let's go to St. Petersburg. Sweden versus Poland. Robin Kwaizong was in for Marcus Berg. A uh, change that I was personally happy with because I've been clamouring for that all, all tournament. But uh, as it turned out, didn't have a great game, but it's, it was a it was a topsy-turvy game, wasn't it? Poland had Krzysztof coming in after his ban. He came in for Brighton's Jakub Murder, retaining that 3-4-1-2 shape, which did look quite good in the second game, can't lie. And um, all the hard work that Poland must have obviously done, um, dead in the water instantly. Emil Forsberg nips in, sluggish Polish defence. It seems though they they'd not warmed up. They were just I, I just can't explain it. The composure from Forsberg was excellent as well, of course, scoring his second goal of the tournament, um, creeping up on those golden boot standings. Obviously, those would be evaporated later, later the night though. Um, Sweden win the ball highly. They won the territorial battles at least and Poland for me from open play at least were offering very little but obviously the big chance that's, I'm surprised it's not gone viral around the world on Twitter really for the shocking miss of uh, Robert Lewandowski Robert Lewandowski that came from a corner and that was the only way set pieces that Poland were going to trouble Sweden and even then you sort of fought the Swedish defence that are quite capable of dealing with these situations but regardless Lewandowski hits the bar and he's got he's two yards out and as Roy Keane says it's two yards man and he the goalkeeper's on the floor all he needs to do is just head it directly in front of him heads it into the bar again and I'm still trying to comprehend that miss some what is it 18 20 hours later baffling um, Sweden defensively were very good for the first hour kind of fell off a cliff a little bit for like a 15 minute period in the second half but uh, there we go and from in the second half it had more than a whiff of the Slovakia-Poland game I was so unimpressed with Poland at least in the in these parts of the game because they were trying to shoot from distance far too much and when you've got Robin Lewandowski on the pitch he's not in those positions he's a bit further on why would you sort of bypass him to try and try a pot shot from distance Krichowiak had a distance, had a shot from distance, miles over. They barely hit the target, rarely troubled Robin Olsen in the net. 
And I just thought, why? You didn't work for against Slovakia. Why would it work against Sweden? A much better team, much better defense. Maybe they would try to bypass the uh, center halves and just eliminate them by just shooting from distance, not even attempting to go through them. Finally, they would change tacts. Um, they need they needed some more work, like uh, Kamil Joswiak. He, he was doing some bit of, a few passes that were a bit probing and sort of trying to do something a bit different because they did need to do something different. And obviously they did need to do something different because around the hour mark, Dejan Kulazewski finally got some minutes on the pitch after contracting COVID, of course, before the tournament. And Sweden were then dangerous again. Kulazewski was fantastic. Obviously it comes into the match fresh. No signs of long COVID, thankfully, for Kulazewski and for Sweden, really. And he was just absolutely phenomenal, really. He was so dangerous on the break. Gifts it to Forsberg for a second. And then Forsberg, for a time at least, was level on the golden boot standings there. And Kulazewski added some much-needed pace in the Sweden team on the counter, and they just looked a completely different team, completely different prospect with him. And I really do hope he starts in the last 16 against Ukraine, because that will just be... I think that's going to be a fantastic... He's straight in my fantasy team, I'll tell you that. And uh, finally, Poland came out and played proper, proper football, not just hit and hope, long shot football. Finally showed a little bit of quality, again on the break, almost instantly from that second Sweden goal. Maybe just give him a kick up the bum and gone... Actually, we need to play some football and feed Lewandowski. Zielinski gives the Bayern Munich man the ball. Absolutely fantastic goal. Curls it in. And finally, they changed tact and showed a little bit of composure around the uh, edges of the box. Showed a little bit of composure out wide. Not giving it to a midfielder that just blazed wildly into the crowd, into the Russian crowd. And Lewandowski gets a second through this composure, through threading little balls through the Ivan Needle. And finally, Poland looked like a team that they've been promising to be. At the last two tournaments, obviously the 2018 World Cup crashed out, got a win on the final day. And they were saved there. They would have been saved probably by... No, they finished fourth, didn't they? So they wouldn't even be saved by the 2014 tournament. They were abject there. They've been abject here. Uh, saved for this 20-minute spell where they looked very dangerous. And that's the... I know they're missing Milliken and they're missing Piontek. But it just baffles me how bad a football team like Poland can play with... Admittedly, as well, the manager's on this is his sixth competitive fixture with them, but they've had a big training camp now behind them. You'd have thought they wouldn't have just reverted to hit and hope from 25 yards. It just wound me up. You could probably tell by my voice. And then just when Poland were getting into the game, just when it looked as though, oh, maybe we can actually qualify for the last 16, which they would have done with a win. And um, yeah, they switched off defensively and uh, Victor Klaassen snuck in a last-minute winner which came from nowhere because Sweden were under the cosh for much of the second half, albeit not much of a cosh because <laughs> Poland weren't playing that well at the start of the second half. Obviously, they grew into it and uh, adopted their uh, tactics a little bit differently. But Victor Klaassen snuck, snuck in a last-minute winner and to be fair, yeah, they probably deserved it. On the basis of the whole tournament... Poland sneaking through the back door here. They would have finished second as well, ahead of Sweden. That would have been an absolute disgrace. The way the Poland have played, if, for them to have a good 30 minutes and get through in second place off the back of that and face Croatia, one of the, uh, no disrespect to Croatia, but it's not, they're not Italy, France, or you know big teams, Germany, Portugal, to get through to a potential quarterfinal off the back of 30 minutes there fantastic that would have been mind numbing so I'm kind of glad Sweden <laughs> Sweden won it in the end and it was an entertaining match uh, in the last 30 minutes when Poland actually kicked into gear 
And we were waiting for Group E to come alive, and it finally did. Now, Sweden, they're in the favourable path, which we'll discuss in a second. The favourites now to go through to the quarterfinals, and now, because of the quarter of the draw they're in, we'll face a 2018 World Cup reunion, no matter what happens. And then, uh, alternatively, that goal for Victor Klassen is fantastic. It changes the complete outlook on the tournament as well. Because Spain, they're now in the wrong side of the draw. They're now in a wrong quarter of the draw, really. Croatia will be a hugely tough match. France await them in the quarterfinal, most likely. I'm not discounting Switzerland here for one second, despite doing so quite flagrantly. That is a tough game. That is a tough quarter of the draw for Spain. They've got to beat the two World Cup finalists from three years ago. Croatia like they've got their act together a little bit with some changes and tactical tweaks there from Zlatko Dalic. That is a very difficult draw to get to the semi-finals and then once you think you've beaten two great teams then you've got one of Portugal, Belgium or Italy to get to the final it's, just, it's tough luck on Spain but they're obviously paying the cost for not finishing chances in the uh, first two games so let's time let's preview the last 16 so Euro 2020 the 2014 tournament as opposed to 16 or 32 I believe we do have more of a blank slate than other tournaments, the things will be completely different from the group stages, of course, because teams can coast through and finish third and end up winning the tournament, can't they? Portugal. Group F have effectively been teams from there, Germany, France, France, Portugal. They've effectively been playing knockout football from the beginning, haven't they, really? They could have gone out in third, such as the nature of that um, for times there. And they might have the advantage in terms of they've been playing more high-quality teams in terms of their group stages and let's start with Belgium Portugal Sunday night 8 p.m. in Seville what a con is one of the two contests in this last 16 that I'm most looking forward to obviously the other one being England Germany which obviously and anyway Belgium centre backs I worry for a lot in this uh, game Portugal have shown their counter attacking abilities against Germany and uh, their centre-backs against Ronaldo, against uh, Jota, Bernardo Silva, and probably Renato Sanchez if he starts, which I think he should. I don't think they're up to facing Cristiano Ronaldo right now. Maybe in the semi-final with a few more games under the belt, but wow, what a uh, prospect that'll be. I think it'll be quite high scoring. Portugal will sit deep, but it's Kevin De Bruyne, it's Romelu Lukaku, and Tielemans will come back. Obviously, Eden Hazard, you can never discount him no matter how match unfit he might be. Portugal's defence versus Belgium attack would be is going to be a fantastic battle as well. And I just think that if Portugal sit deep, they could get picked off by some uh, classic interplay. Lukaku and De Bruyne, that would be fantastic to watch against that Portuguese defence. Obviously, Diaz, Pepe, full-backs as well. It, it's going to be a fantastic... It's a flip of the coin stuff, really, because you don't know how um, Belgium centre-backs will cope with Cristiano Ronaldo with uh, the front three there. Um, I'd be more worried about Renato Sanchez and that uh, that in the middle, especially if Axel Witzel isn't up to scratch. Maybe he might not start him. Maybe he'll start Dendonka instead. But I, I think now is probably the time to uh, keep going with Witzel if you are Roberto Martinez. And that is... Yeah, that is... I can't call it, I'm not even going to call it now, um, a game I can call them, Italy versus Austria, that's going to be an Italy win, Saturday night 8pm at Wembley, and it's probably is one of the easier calls, contests to call Italy, probably Austria are on the same calibre, but probably even less than Switzerland and Wales, and probably not Turkey though, let's be honest, 
Austria do have drips and drabs of quality, obviously. Anatovic up front, Alaba on the left, which it should be on the left. Um, and that's my worry that they'll revert to a five with Alaba in that quarterback role, which does not suit anybody. It suits Italy, obviously, because it, all that does is serve to uh, make Austria deeper. And Italy, if they if they sniff out that team's just going to sit deep, they will attack and attack and attack and attack, and they will unlock them. It's inevitable. Domenico Berardi, if Austria do play on the left, Alaba on the left, Domenico Berardi and Alaba is going to be a fantastic battle. And um, if Austria expose themselves a little bit on the left hand side, Berardi will, and Barella, of course, with that Metzala role if he starts, of course. Um, they will just expose them if Alaba isn't isn't um, restrained enough. But he doesn't need to be high like a Robin Gerson's, like a Spinazzola, which we'll see in this match, of course, to affect things. Obviously, Sabitzer are in there as well. He's a, uh, a good cog in the Austrian wheel. I think the midfield for Austria is a good, um, strong point. But then faced up against Italy's midfield, yeah, yeah he's, he's one of the best midfields at the tournament. Italy's, uh, you've got... It, Roberto Martin, Ma, Mancini does face a little bit of a headache with um, Verratti coming back in, obviously off the back of Locatelli's two goals against Switzerland. He's in great form, of course. You've got Barella in there. You've also got Giorgino, who seems undroppable uh, from Mancini's standpoint. Um, um, it could be any four, any six, really, from those three positions that they will play, obviously, in the 4-3-3. Uh, the winners of these games go to Munich for the quarterfinal, Friday, 2nd of July, 8pm, British summertime. Of course, these are all British summertime. And, again, the toughest quarter of the draw by some chalk. Not too far behind, obviously, in the same half of the draw here. France versus Switzerland, Monday, 8pm in Bucharest. And another easier call, really. If I would prefer, if I was Swiss, if I was Swiss, Ricardo Rodriguez to play left centre-half, Steven Zuber, left wing-back, or probably left full-back, if you're uh, considering how France will play. Because oh, I'm fearful a bit against, for France, for uh, Switzerland's defence against his front, French front three, front four, really. Um... Steven Zuber might have to play more of a left back if uh, Paul Pogba's got the uh, got his aim correctly as he did last night, and I can only see one winner here. Really, France surely will take this game, and the winner will play Croatia or Spain, which is earlier on that day, Monday, five pm in Copenhagen. I think this game is closer than you think. It depends how well Domagoj Vida and Dejan Lovren do, if they in fact start together. I would like to see the continued involvement for Juranovic at right back. I thought he was superb against Scotland. Nikola Vlasic, Bruno Petkovic. I hope they continue their run in the team because it will make for a much more, a better Croatian performance, a better all-round game, closer teams. And if the fullbacks could perform well, of course, Josko Vadiol, I thought he was great at uh, against Scotland at Hamden. I, I think he's grown into his left-back role very well um, they could perf- they could cause an upset obviously Croatia's midfield speaks for itself and Spain by no means have got a weak midfield but uh, Luka Modric against Spain as well um, that's a, an enticing prospect isn't it and I think Sarabia for Spain deserves a chance to start and I think my front three for Spain will be what we saw last night Moreno Morata and uh, Sarabia Pedri also has to start he's the way he's keeping Thiago out of the team is phenomenal. I think he's been great all tournament. Um, deserves to win best young player, maybe. Um, but we'll see, obviously, um, as the uh, matches go on. The winners between these two ties go to St. Petersburg for what could be a fantastic quarterfinal, Friday the 2nd. The first quarterfinal at 5pm. And obviously, those the winners of all this half of the draw funnel into 
Tuesday's semi-final, and I can't look beyond really Italy to get through to that semi-final. But theirs out of the quarter of that draw is the least experienced. That's the only thing that might... Obviously, in defence, have got bags of experience, perhaps enough for the rest of the team to go around in terms of international football. Um, but that's the only thing that I can possibly think of that could let Italy down at this stage. They do look the best team at the tournament. Obviously, France have faced a lot tougher fixtures. You might have the argument that Italy haven't been as tested as some teams, for example. And France should be able to swat aside all that they play in their quarter of the draw, even Spain, that I feel really. But it only takes one moment, as we've seen in uh, games against Hungary. In Portugal as well, we've uh, a break on them, a penalty decision either way. <laughs> Again, it's predicting games, it's, it's a completely fruitless task, isn't it, really? So let's go on to the other half of the draw. Let's keep predicting this, uh, let's keep this uh, fruitless task going. Sweden versus Ukraine, i.e. watching through tears of an Englishman after the uh, England-Germany game at 5pm, but let's not centre it around England here. Tuesday, 8pm, Glasgow, the last last 16, and Ukraine for me, very, very lucky, very lucky to even be in the tournament at this stage. Finished, I think they finished rock bottom, I think they finished fourth, so rock bottom of the qualifiers from third place. They were absolutely drab against Austria. Sweden for me are more of a unit, more of a 4-4-2 there. Jan Andersson, fantastic uh, how he's lined Sweden up and Sweden will have Kulisevsky coming back, which is, as if you're a Ukrainian, you'd be like, oh God, <laughs> please <laughs> get injured again. Because he, him in the team against that Ukrainian defence, even though Mikolenko, Matvienko are decent enough prospects for Ukraine, Kulisevsky running at them would just cause him an absolute nightmare. Meanwhile, Ukraine are more individuals. You've got Malinovsky, you've got Zinchenko, you've got Yamilenko, and of course you have got the boy wonder himself, the man himself, the golden boot train keeps on chugging, doesn't it? We've survived We've survived the sternest of tests. Roman Yaramchuk, he's got to come good at some point, hopefully. <laughs> He'll need a hat-trick. He'll need four goals at the very least here to win the golden boot now, but I'm still, I'm still, um, still got a dog in this fight. Uh, but I do see Sweden edging this and what I, the perfect, um, perfect result I will hope for is a 5-4. Roman Yaramchuk, all four goals. Ronaldo stops scoring, gets eliminated by Belgium. Portugal don't score. And I reap my rewards on a monetary basis. So the, the earlier game on the Tuesday is, of course, the big one. England, Germany. Tuesday, 5pm, Wembley. Last time England played Germany at Wembley in a knockout stage match, they lost it 1-1 where the manager, Gareth Southgate, missed a penalty. Of course, there's been matches between the two since the... Alan Shearer winner in Charleroi at Euro 2000. There's been the Frank Lampard VAR, uh, not VAR, goal line technology controversy in South Africa. And um, England haven't beaten Germany in a knockout stage game in tournament football since the 1966 World Cup. <laughs> so there you go. The history is there. History counts for absolutely nothing in these games. But I think the entire half of this draw revolves around this one. The winner gets to the final for me. The winner beats Sweden or Ukraine. The winner beats who might, whoever might get chucked out of the, the quarter of the final quarter of the draw. Sterling versus Germany. Germany's defence excites me. Germany's fluid front three with Muller in the team against England makes me nervous from an English perspective. Um, it will be England's defence's first real test. There is a there is a school of thinking that Southgate might revert to a three at the back. But personally, I would stick with a four because Declan Rice, flexible in his approach, 
in this uh, number six role that he has for England. I think he can occupy Thomas Muller quite well. He'll occupy him. I don't whether he occupies him quite well. Maybe he's a different story. But uh, I think if you keep the 4-3-3, keep the system that uh, got England here and have Rice a bit deeper following that third striker, following Thomas Muller around, I think might be the way to go. And of course, that way you keep Saka and Sterling, or you keep Sterling and whoever is the other winger, probably Phil Foden, I imagine. Uh, Mason Mount probably won't get into the team because of um, his COVID isolation ends midnight before the game, so he won't be able to get in a training session. And I think it's best just to, if he does feature off the bench for me, and um, could be one for Jordan Henderson as well coming in, um, but of course... It's a mystery and it's pointless suggesting a team for Gareth Southgate and pointless even getting worked up up when the uh, lineups inevitably leak out Tuesday midday when you're eating your pasta that you've got from Tesco. Pointless getting worked up about it. Just look at the selection, go nod, go back to your pasta, wait for the game. That's my suggestion. Don't clown off on Twitter with a hashtag Southgate out because the game hasn't even begun yet. That's all I'll say. So the final quarter, of course, those winners of those games go to Rome for the quarterfinals, Saturday, 8pm, British summertime. And the final quarter of the draw on this bumper episode of Euro Daily Podcast, Netherlands versus Czech Republic, Sunday, 5pm. Perhaps the weakest last 16 game of the lot. Perhaps the, second, the last one here might be. Uh, Sunday, 5pm in Budapest. So full house for these two good teams. Might be a lot closer than the the team's name suggests Netherlands, Czechoslovakia, two winners of the tournament in the 70s and 80s. Czech Republic have a great attack. Patrick Schick, fantastic footballer, fantastic goal scorer. Jakob Jankto, them, their combinations, maybe they were snuffed out by the England defence or maybe they had an off night or maybe they've levelled out to their performance levels. Who knows? But I think this game will hinge on how well Netherlands adapt defensively. We've seen them drop a bit deeper and a bit deeper with each passing game, which infers that the the tactical sort of fluidity, the tactical um, knowledge that they've built up over the past few games is starting to work. It's starting to wear. And the longer that the Dutch are in this tournament, the stronger, the uh, more dangerous they become for me. I would love to see a Memphis Marlon, Daniel Marlon double act because I do think uh, Czech Republic's defence they hate quick attackers and um, obviously we've seen that in the last game with Raheem Sterling, Bakayo Saka as well. I would love the Netherlands to uh, unleash Daniel Marlon and Memphis. I thought they performed so well against North Macedonia. Of course, this is a different prospect, but the Czech Republic's defence, their weaknesses against pacey attackers and Daniel Marlon, Memphis, Denzel Dumfries from the right, exactly that. Uh, Genie Wijnaldum dropping in deep from uh, the... Uh, Number eight, number 10, sort of hybrid that he plays for his national team. I think that'll be um, probably the Netherlands' best bet. But of course, expect Wout uh, Vegas to start. Um, Luke de Jong, I think he's out for the tournament. I might be wrong with that one, um, but I don't think he'll play. I obviously predicted at the start that Luke de Jong would play every game because he seems to be uh, Debar's favourite striker, but he hasn't um, bowed to the public pressure of Wout Vegas. But now I think the clamour should be for Daniel Marlon, performed great the other night and um, against Czech Republic. I think uh, Netherlands will win that and the winner will face Wales versus Denmark, the winner of that in Baku. So some travelling to do here. That's the uh, 
the only pitfall of this quarter of the draw, really. Uh, the quarterfinal there, Saturday 5pm, British summertime. But this one, Saturday 5pm, the previous week in Amsterdam, one for the purists. <laughs> and uh, Wales versus Denmark. And neutral, well, can you be neutral if you're English when Wales are playing? Like I Personally, some people have a school of thinking that you shouldn't support anybody but yourself. <laughs> But you're of a team uh, on a club level. I think I'm probably falling to that. But uh, an international tournament, I'd prefer Wales to do well. Prefer I wanted Scotland to do well before they crashed out. Um, but obviously, these are extenuating circumstances. Denmark. Everybody wants Denmark to win. their everyone's second favorite team now. Of course, Amsterdam. They will be fully behind Denmark. I'm not too sure if Amsterdam police or if uh, Dutch police have relaxed the rule that are allowing Welsh fans to go and watch it i know they've got a rule that uh, danish people can go and watch but they have to be out of the country within 12 hours um but uh, amsterdam former home to a christian Eriksen, of course as an ix player they'll be well behind him the uh, dutch fans in in the uh, johan cruyff arena there it's too close to call it's like belgian portugal probably the one of the closest last 16 ties that we've got um, both sides have quality, both sides have immense team spirits denmark's built up huge over the course of this tournament more so than what it already was and perhaps I'll leave it with an intangible really today. Maybe something far bigger is at work here and maybe Denmark will um, get over the line. Being handed a kind quarter of the draw, I would fancy them against the Netherlands perhaps in the quarterfinals and then any one of the four teams in the other quarter that they inhabit their half of the draw with will be a fantastic semi-final, the highly charged semi-final in Wembley, which let's not forget, Denmark beat. England at Wembley in the build-up to this tournament. That semi-final will be on when will, will be on Wednesday, and they will have the disadvantage of playing a game a bit further on down the line ahead of the final at course at Wembley as well on July the 11th. So, as an England fan, I wouldn't want Wales in the semi-finals. If England are to get to the semi-finals, for me, the uh, best route for England would be Sweden, and then it would be the Netherlands for me. Czech Republic. I don't know if they got there. A reunion could be quite easy. It could be a lot more difficult. So, and of course, Denmark, do you want to be playing the bad guys in that scenario, really? Um, of course, Denmark as well. Fantastic team, let's not forget. Um, on the same vein as Wales, they wouldn't want to play them either. Netherlands would be the team I'd prefer from an English standpoint in the semi-finals because um, they're much more easier to be got at in terms of counter and England strengths, I think, probably going to be the most prosperous game for example that's why from an English standpoint I wanted Germany instead of Hungary as the match war on last night but we'll cover it all of course we will as we will do until July the 12th here on uh, Patreon on ACAS, Spotify, Apple and Amazon all the way to the 12th tomorrow and the day after as well we've got a couple of Euro rewinds to the uh, championships gone by starting in the heady four teams days of the 60s and 70s and obviously working our way, f- way f- right through to the uh, 2021 tournament at the uh, conclusion of the tournament. But we'll, of course, get to that in due course. Thank you for listening. The group stages are over. The knockout stages are here. I'll see you tomorrow. It's definitely coming home now. Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.